0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from another top 10 prospect for the NHL draft in July. This time, Edmonton Oil Kings winger Dylan Gunther, who's tied for second in Bob McKenzie's midterm draft rankings. The player he's tied with, Sweden's six foot five defenseman, Simon Edvinson will be a guest next week on our next podcast on NHL Lottery Night, June the 2nd. But first, Ted, let's take a look at a few of your stories in the paper this weekend, available online at DetroitNews.com. You profiled three veteran Red Wings who may have played their last games in Detroit. Darren Helm, Valtteri Filippola, Franz Nielsen. Three forwards, all praised by Coach Jeff Blaschel for their professional approaches, setting good examples. Philpola and Nielsen didn't play as much as you mentioned in the second half of the season, and Helm played on that checking line with Luke Glendenning and Adam Ernie. Who do you think Steve Eisenman will bring back with the roster undergoing changes and getting younger and younger? Ted, well,
1: Mark, of the three, I would think Darren Helm has the mm-hmm. best chance of returning, but. I tell you what, my friend, I don't think it's a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. I think proster spots are going to be at a premium. Um, I do think Helm obviously can still help a Red Wings or any team. The mm-hmm. other pretty, he had a really, that line, like you mentioned, you could argue that line was one of the most consistent and most effective lines the Wings had. But I don't think the Wings are going to, I think the Wings are going to, there's going to be a certain ceiling in terms of term and salary, and I just don't know if it's going to be a fit. I mean they want to start filtering in more younger players. Mm-hmm. Helm has the best chance, but Phil Pula, there's well, frankly no chance I mean I just he just hasn't been effective enough and then Franz Nielsen that's a tricky call i could I could easily see them buy him out mm-hmm. but the cost-effectiveness of it, it's almost somewhat better. You can you can make an argument that's better sure. to keep him around this season. And a classy veteran, I think you could do worse than playing him on the fourth line occasionally. Um, he, but he adds so much in the locker room. Such a classy veteran. I think you can add to this younger team that way. We'll see. But uh, – Yeah, to answer your question in the short term, I think Jaron has probably the best chance of returning. But again, I wouldn't say it's a definite by any stretch.
0: Ted, you also had a story about former Red Wing Justin Abdokater, 11 years in Detroit, now the captain of Team USA at the World Championships in Latvia. In fact, the U.S. has a 2-1 record heading into today's game against Latvia. They're up 4-2 after two periods. Abdokater has an assist today. He's even in the championships, Ted, If the U.S. continues to do well at these worlds, do you think Abdo could find a fourth line role back in the NHL next year?
1: Tough call, Mark. I mean, I just have reservations about his quickness and speed at Mm -hmm. this point. Uh, I think another guy could help a young team or certain teams with his veteran leadership, but And his professionalism, the way he goes about the job day in and day out. But I think some of the skills have declined here over the years. It's such a fast game. I mean, we've talked about it, Mark. It's Mm -hmm. just a fast game right now. I'm not sure he can keep up over a length of time. But he does add variables to the mix. I think he he's from what I've seen, he's played decent hockey over there. And bully for him and that team i mean they've played, much was expected out of team usa at these particular world championships but they've played well and uh you know he's obviously the captain so that's a feather in his cap i think he's making a case for himself but again it's it's yeah. be a tough road to hoe here i i don't see him automatically getting a job anywhere but we'll see
0: In today's paper, Ted, and online at detroitnews.com, you talked to former Red Wings goalie Jimmy Howard, who said he's at peace with retirement and enjoying time with his family, and he didn't rule out coaching in his future. He won 246 games in Detroit with a 2.62 goals against average. Ted, what stood out the most, though, when you got a chance to catch up with Howard?
1: Hey, Mark, you know what was the best uh, anecdote or – what was the that? Thing that really struck out in that entire interview. He, he, It's like the light bulb came on one day in December. He was at working out with his goalie coach, and he just didn't like the fact he, – he just didn't like getting hit by puck. <laughs> and he just knew at that time I, that – you know what? I just don't want to do this anymore. And it's that's it was fascinating listening to him. And it does. It, it, you figure that's been something. I mean, hockey's been such a big part of his life. I mean, and all he's ever ha- been is a goaltender, coming up from the youth ranks to the NHL. And every day, my gosh, you're facing all those shots every day at practice and games. And all of a sudden, just one. One shot, one second in time. It's like I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I found that fascinating. I really did. And he's definitely, you know, what he was jovial. He was at peace him with himself. He really loves. You could tell just in his voice. He loves coaching kids. And I gotta tell you, I wouldn't be just listening to him yesterday. I would not be shocked down the line to maybe see him do some coaching and maybe at the college or the pro level. He seems like he really. Is enjoying it. I think he's good. He could be good at it. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, tell you what, nice, nice. I mean, he had a really good career, really nice career with the Redwoods. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his stature in the organization is set. I mean, he's did a fine job for a lot of years with the
0: Redwoods. You know, that was an amusing anecdote. In fact, we put that in the deckhead in the newspaper that you can pick up today. So, hey, and what about the playoffs so far, Ted? Uh, In your predictions, you picked the Jets to upset Connor McDavid and the Oilers. You also took winners boston colorado and tampa bay that's four right right there they, there, there you picks? go there you go well there's four and then you got the least let's not bring Knight. up
1: the islanders i don't think i don't think they had, i had the islanders you I? had the penguins that was a toss-up okay.
0: series and, yeah. and you got
1: the- they but boy oh boy you know what mark i don't know how much you saw of that series but wouldn't jonathan bernier would have looked good in her oh of- yes yes would not have that have been the case i was talking about it with somebody the other night um you put Jonathan Bernier and Thomas Grice and the Penguins I would dare say they're still alive this morning I would think
0: well and, they didn't have a backup right for Tristan Jari who turned it over in game five and then allowed those five goals yesterday you're right what if Bernier was there they could have gone to him or Grice yeah absolutely Ted you put those
1: one or either in that situation there and I think the Penguins were like I said, dare I say, I think the Penguins would still be alive today and a definite threat to go further down the road. I don't mind their roster one, whatsoever, and I think I don't think the Penguins care what Ted Colvin say, but I think their roster is fine. I don't think they need to tweak it too much, other than get reliable goaltending. I just don't know if you can bring back Tristan Jerry anymore after this fiasco. It'll be interesting to see, but boy, I, I, on the flip side, I was very impressed with the New York Islanders. I think mm-hmm. that there's Bruins series is going to be a tough knockdown drag out affair.
0: And again, readers can check your second round predictions. They'll be in Saturday's paper and online. And later in the podcast, We'll hear from Tyler Bertuzzi, who is recovering from back surgery. But time now for our interview segment with Edmonton Oil Kings winger Dylan Gunther. Joining us now is 18-year-old Dylan Gunther, a right winger with the Edmonton Oil Kings, one of the top prospects for the 20. 21 NHL draft and a possible draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings. Dylan, welcome to the podcast. The, the Red Wings won't find out where they're going to pick in the draft until the lottery on June the 2nd. And then there's the NHL draft, which isn't until July the 23rd. But what if Detroit drafts you? What if you get drafted by Steve Eiserman's team, Dylan? The Red Wings rebuilding here, of course, rehiring Jeff Blaschel on Tuesday building with dylan larkin marit sider michael rasmussen even another western hockey league top prospect you probably wouldn't mind going to any team right but what about detroit
2: i yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on i think uh i think that would be great i i know that uh, detroit is such, it's a hockey city and has so much history and mm-hmm. obviously growing up i watched them in in the finals uh, quite a few times and i think that they are uh, you know, re- rebuilding a great team, and obviously, I would love to be a part of that.
0: Dylan, I asked your coach Brad Lauer about the Western Hockey League, the league that you play in, and our listeners may remember Brad Lauer. He was a former NHLer for nine seasons. He scored 44 goals with the Islanders, Blackhawks, and Senators. He was also an assistant coach with Steve Eiserman's Tampa Bay Lightning team, and he's been your coach or the Edmonton coach for the last three years. The first year as a 15-year-old, you had three goals in eight games. The second year, 26 goals, and you were the WHL rookie of the year. And this past year, in the pandemic year, 12 goals in 12 games. Now, your coach says the WHL builds character with those long bus trips, and there's bus trips in all the leagues. But he said that the long 10, 12-hour bus trips, it teaches you to be prepared, focused, to handle adversity. And he also said, Dylan, that there's also an obligation to your team to compete, that you may not be feeling well, but you really do need to learn how to compete and, and play in the league. So what, what, in your mind, are some of the challenges of playing in the WHL?
2: Yeah, I think uh, the travel is definitely something that not a lot of other junior teams face, at least at this, uh, mm-hmm. this level. I think that, uh, you know, we do, we sometimes are on the bus for 10, 12 hours at a time in a day. And I think then you got to get off the bus and play the next day. And it's definitely challenging and both physically and mentally. I mean, physically, maybe your legs aren't feeling great and probably mentally drained from being on the bus, you know, for, for that amount of time. But I think it does build character and it shows you how to, uh, you know, handle different, different situations and uh, just, uh, just find a way to, uh, to compete and try to win a game. And I think that's what uh, we've been doing. And uh, yeah, I mean, it does wear on you, but I think uh, over time you do, you do get used to it.
0: Dylan, who are some of the players that you watched in the WHL since 1967, the WHL has had 322 first rounders. And of those 322 players, 12 have been Red Wings. Michael Rasmussen, who we mentioned earlier, he had 31 goals for Tri-City. Jesse Wallin from Red Deer, and now an amateur scout with the Wings. There was Mike Sillinger. Uh, we're talking to his son Cole for our draft previews. Uh, Corey his cousin Joey, won two Cups here and one in New York. Going back further, uh, Brent Fedick was a first-round pick. He had 43 goals with Regina. Murray Craven had 30 goals, 38 goals with Medicine Hat played 18 years in the NHL and is now a VP with Vegas. And then another player with the Regina Pats, Mike Blaisdell, he had 71 goals in one season. What was it like though at Edmonton? Did any of those players have you crossed paths with over the years? And and who were some of the players that you watched growing up in Edmonton in the WHL?
2: Yeah, I definitely recognize some of those names, but growing up in Edmonton, I got a chance to watch uh, the Oil Kings and they had uh, some really good teams when they won the WHL championship and Memorial cup and, they had guys like Griffin Reinhardt, Curtis Lazar, and Henrik okay. Samuelson who were all first-round picks. And, uh, you know, those guys were definitely big role models for me. And, and uh, you know, as people, someone who I strive to be like, I think, uh, you know, it would always make my day when I'd have the chance to interact and, uh, and meet mm. them at any, uh, you know, type of event. And uh, knowing that I can be that guy and kind of give back to the community in that way is definitely a great feeling.
0: Dylan, Brad Lauer also talked about the extra pressure to perform in your hometown. And again, for our listeners, Edmonton has always been the home of Wayne Gretzky, five cups in seven years. You were the number one player in the Bantam Draft by the Oil Kings. And going back even further, you played in that Team Brick Tournament, a tournament started by the father of Mike Comrie, who played here at the University of Michigan. Brad Lauer said, you know, you were identified way back, even as a 10-year-old, as a top player and you played for Northern Alberta teams as well. He said that you've lived up to these expectations, but there can be some extra pressure. So I'm wondering what it's like spending all this time in Edmonton and the expectations and, and the pros and cons, uh, Dylan.
2: Yeah, I don't really see it as pressure. I think more of opportunity. I, mm-hmm. I've i been given the opportunity to play for my hometown. And I think with that comes maybe uh, extra people that you know watching, such as you know, family and friends. And I think, uh, you know, that's pretty cool. I think if I were to look back, you know, five or seven years and, and see myself now and think that I'd be playing for the Oil Kings, who back then I was kind of looking up to and, sure. and dreamed of playing for, I would just be so proud of myself and how far I've come. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just an opportunity for me to just continue to get better and uh, perform in, at my hometown team.
0: In your hometown, sure. And you know, Dylan Brad also talked about your first year coming into the Oil Kings. Well, not the not as a fifteen year old, but the first full year that you came in as a fourth liner and he said you didn't complain, you worked hard, you asked questions, he said you needed to figure it out. Similar to Kent Johnson, one of our other previous guests here at the University of Michigan, Mel Pearson said that Kent had to learn the give and go game and just mature and figure out in his case a different position and things but you've been a winger and everything but I'm just wondering what your thoughts were coming in that first year and the coach said that you know the first six seven eight games uh you you weren't playing on the top line but that's when he elevated you and then you know he said that from that point on you were top six forward
2: yeah I think I'm I'm thankful for that opportunity I mean when you Mm -hmm. when you look back and you were uh like when I'm playing on the fourth line, it's obviously not where I want to be starting the season, and I obviously had high expectations of myself coming here. year, and to have that kind of story, I definitely, uh, you know, wasn't happy with that, but I think looking back on it, it definitely helped me a ton. I think it's allowed me to uh, to kind of learn and go through what it's like to start out on a bottom line and then and then work my way up, and I know when I get to the next level, I'm going to have to do that. And I'm grateful that I had that opportunity now, so I'll know how to handle it uh, later on in my career.
0: Dylan, there's two players on the Oil Kings I'd like to talk to you about. One of them is Riley Sawchuck. He was your center the year that you were the Western Hockey League Rookie of the Year, and you played alongside Jake Neighbors, a first-round pick by the Blues. But my question is about an overage center, someone like Riley, who apparently was moving on to Calgary, to Mount Royals University. and I just wonder what... It was like with Riley on that line with Jake Neighbors.
2: Yeah, I think you can learn so much from those those overage players as they've been in the league for, for much longer than you have and have been through mm-hmm. a lot. I, Riley was on a really good team in Tri-City when they had a lot of, uh, you know, high-end players, and he obviously learned a ton from them. And then just me kind of picking up off him and watching him, uh, you know, both on and off the ice. I think off the ice he – Sure. conducts himself like a pro and he's super professional and he's definitely someone who I looked up to and, and tried to, uh, you know, model my, my day in, day in and day out like him. So I think that, that was huge. And then on the ice, just, uh, you know, the way you played, I think, uh, uh, my, myself, Riley and Jake's game kind of all complimented each other as well. And we all kind of worked off each other and we were able to have success that way.
0: Dylan, the other player I want to ask you about is the, uh, goaltender Sebastian Kosa. He's six, six, save percentage, Uh, Brad Lauer talked about another player from Tri-City coming over, Beck Warm, who helped Sebastian on and off the ice with his habits, getting prepared. And now he feels, now your coach feels that Sebastian has a better mindset. He doesn't let things bother him as much. And Sebastian could be a player that's available for the Red Wings with their second pick in the first round with the Washington Capitals. I'm just curious your thoughts about Sebastian Kosa, because Coach Brad Lauer said that in practice, he's always trying to stop you guys, and I, I just wonder about the upside, what you see with this with this teammate.
2: Yeah, I mean, great player, great teammate, great person. I think I really don't have enough good things to say about him. He's mm-hmm. an uber-competitive player, and we're we're two guys who love to compete, and, and we do that in practice. I mean, I want to score every shot I take on him, and he doesn't want me to score, so I think that... We have a good friendly competition there and, uh, you know, it pushes us both and makes us both better. And he's an unbelievable goalie, uh, obviously a big frame. So if you're going to score on him, you have to definitely pick your spot. And uh, I think that he'll be, you know, a great goalie at the next level with years to come.
0: I also wanted to ask you about the gold medal winning team with Canada at the under 18s in Texas. First of all, two players who could wind up on the wings. They don't have the greatest draft lottery luck, but in 2022, Shane Wright is widely regarded as one of the top players, and he was on your team. And so was the 2023 projected top player, Connor Bedard, Wright with the Kingston Frontenacs and Connor Bedard uh, with the Regina Pats. They each led the team with 14 points. Wright missed a couple of games with a foot injury. You were tied for eighth with seven points in seven games. But could you let our Red Wings fans know, Dylan, a little bit, first of all, about Shane Wright? And also Connor Bedard.
2: Yeah, I think that they're both unbelievable players. Obviously, that there's they're a special talent, and they can do great things on the ice with the puck in their stick. But uh, off the ice, they're both great people, and they conduct themselves like pros. I think you wouldn't <laughs> think that they are they're as young as they are just because of how mature they are and how uh, you know dedicated they are to the game. So I think that's just a credit to them, and they'll have great uh, great careers in the future.
0: And did you play on a line with any of the two of them, with Shane or Connor? What was that like?
2: Yeah, I played with Shane. He's uh, obviously a obviously a great talent, and you know, such a, a well rounded player who uh, you know shoots really well. He has a great shot, and uh, he had a lot of he had a lot of goals just because of how good and hard his shot is. So I think that it's. Uh, it 's great to play with guys like that, just so you can kind of learn from them and kind of implement some of their tactics into your game as well.
0: There was one other player on that team, a defenseman who uh, might be available uh, when the Red Wings pick in the first round brant clark he 's a six foot two defenseman from the Barry Colts. He was actually tied with you for eighth in scoring with seven points in seven games. Now, he went overseas to play in Slovakia. I don't know if he talked about it at all. He had 15 points in 26 games, but what can you tell us a bit about Brant Clark?
2: Yeah, he's a great kid. I mean, super fun uh, fun guy to talk to off the ice. I think uh, he's always a guy who who's fun to be around and Obviously a great talent, like, uh, you know, you've probably seen uh, super poised and, and skilled with the puck on his stick and okay. uh, definitely a fun player to watch and play with.
0: Dylan, what options did you have this year? You wound up playing for the Sherwood Park Crusaders of the Alberta Junior League, five points and four games. But what was it like for you? You had 12 games, 12 goals, in the shortened Western Hockey League season. But when you look back, what were some of the highs and lows for you?
2: Yeah, I think going to Shard Park was good. I think it allowed me to get back into a team atmosphere and kind of get back into a routine of what a day is like in hockey. And it kind of allowed me to bump my shoulders around a bit and get, get ready for action. So that when I did get to the Western League, I, I would be ready and I would be prepared for the season. And, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you know they were both great experiences, and uh, for the Oil Kings, I think we're just going to try to build off what we where we left off here this year, next year.
0: And Dylan, just a couple more questions. Bob McKenzie had you number two on his list, along with that defenseman uh, Simon Edvinson, who we're talking to later this week as well. And they're just they're just rankings, and they fluctuate, and, and players are ranked from the top to say the top 10 to 20. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are as your, your mindset as you go into the draft on, on July 23rd.
2: Yeah, I think my mindset is just to, uh, you know, continue to get better every single day. I think it's obviously extremely flattering to have, you know, guys like that to project you to go that high. But I think Mm -hmm. if I want to go that high and make an impact at the next level, I have to continue to get better and get stronger. And that's my, uh, that's my main focus of right now. So I'm just taking it day by day and just looking to get better every single day.
0: Dylan, a lot of the scouts, uh, apparently they ask questions like, are there comparable players? I'm not sure if that's really um, fair to, to players like yourself. I did ask Brad Lauer. I said, you know, is Dylan, is he anything like uh, Dylan cousins? Who's uh, who was uh, one of the top draft picks a few years ago when the Red Wings took Marit Sider?" Now cousins is with the Buffalo Sabres, but are there any players that um, that when you're asked that question, you sort of say, well, there might be a few elements here that I'm interested in. Anything, any player that comes to your mind?
2: Yeah, I think I try to model my game after Mark Scheife of the Winnipeg Jets. I think okay. he's an extremely versatile player who can play in any situation. He can also, you know, score goals and make plays in the offensive zone. And I think that we have a lot of similar, uh, you know, attributes such as speed, shooting and just vision and. He's a guy who I like to uh, you know, try to play like when I'm playing.
0: Dylan, thanks again for your time today talking about the Western Hockey League, your Edmonton Oilers, Kings, teammates, and things that you've learned heading into the NHL draft. All the best heading into that draft, Dylan.
2: Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me.
0: Our thanks again to Dylan Gunther, a possible draft choice of the Red Wings in the NHL draft on July 23rd. Two final topics. The first one, the Red Wings searching for a new assistant coach Here's Red Wings coach, Jeff Blaschel entering his seventh season as coach here in Detroit, talking about what he's looking for in a new assistant coach. Certainly how some, how the, that coach
1: uh, looks at the power play. Um, you know, the power play is an area that, that that needs to be better. And that's not certainly on, on any one particular coach or any one particular person. Um, uh, the guys that are on the ice have to do a better job. And we got to do as good a job as possible preparing them and, and giving them a, a plan that works. So, you know, different offensive ideas. I would use probably the word tactician. Um, you know, especially in a, in a guy with an offensive kind of mindset. Yeah, uh, um, uh, you know, somebody that brings some different, uh, potentially unique ideas. Um, I, you know, it's 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 hard to uh, come up with things that are that are real different or unique in the game. Uh, in not necessarily um, how you how you. Uh, uh win but
0: but ultimately if is there some fresh ideas or unique ideas or, or different thought process but from an offensive standpoint is something that we'd be looking at ted jeff laschel talked about fresh ideas a tactician someone to help with the power play that scored on only 11 percent of its chances lots of candidates out there for example the rangers let go three coaches when dave quinn was fired Jacques Martin, he's 68, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a former NHLer Greg Brown. He's the brother of former Red Wings forward Doug Brown, who won a couple of Cups in Detroit. And David Oliver, a former Michigan star. He was the director of Colorado's player development for six years, and he ran the Rangers Power Play, which went from 17th to 10th in his first year, and they scored at a 22% conversion rate. But, Ted, there's lots of candidates out there, lots of former players, X's and O's, coaches. Will it matter, though, if the players don't change? Because if you look at the playoffs right now, Tampa Bay and Colorado are scoring at 40%. The Jets are at 30%. Boston has five power play goals. And the names on those power plays, Hedman, McCarr, McAvoy, Stamkos, McKinnon, Shifley, What are your thoughts about the coach who comes in here with that role of trying to improve the power play from 11%, Ted?
1: Mark, I think you kind of laid it out perfectly there and alluded to it. I mean, even Blashell at times has alluded to it over the last couple of years. There's really only so much of assistant coach who guides the power play, instructs the power Mm -hmm. play. There's only so much he can do. I mean, there's only so many different, Ways to assemble or diagram a power play, let's face it, mainly it's up to the players to execute. And they haven't done a good enough job here the last few years. The personnel hasn't done a good enough job. They're just – until there's better, more dangerous offensive players out there, I – don't see how this is going to improve that much more significantly. I think it's up to the, to the personnel to get better. Uh, I think there's only so many ideas. or so many ways you can die, work upon a play. It's just a matter of the players going out and executing, and it's up to them to do a better job of it. Uh, for the last couple of years, it just frankly mm-hmm. yeah, not been good enough, and it's hurt them, obviously.
0: Moving on now, let's hear from Tyler Bertuzzi, answering your questions on a recent Zoom call about his back surgery back on April the 30th.
1: Hey, Tyler, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? Good, good, thanks. All right, well, how are you feeling, man? I mean, sounds like it's been kind of a rough ride here this season that way.
2: Yeah, I'd say the season was was obviously tough and, and frustrating for me, but um, I'm feeling really good right now. I know it's early, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to to next season for training camp and, uh, you know, for the summer summer ahead.
1: Tyler, did this just happen, or was it kind of a lingering thing, or it happened like that weekend or something, or what exactly, you know?
2: Uh, I honestly couldn't tell you. It, it It could have been a lingering thing that kind of just kept growing, or it could have been um just the hit that uh in Dallas I just fell on it weird and you know I kind of knew right away something
0: was wrong but something could have led up to that or it could have just been that I'm not really sure to be honest the
1: last one for me I mean how confident are you that you'll be there for training camp I'm I'm really confident so no I mean no hesitant no hesitation at all I mean you feel like you're gonna be ready to go
0: yeah I'm feeling good Ted, do you think Tyler Bertuzzi will be with the team long term? Last year on October the 28th, he said there were no hard feelings when he had to go to arbitration. He was asking for 4.25 million, the team was closer to 3.15 and the arbitrator awarded him a 1-year contract worth 3.5. Now at the time I said what if he gets hurt? Then what happens? He probably would have liked a long term contract. And then a week later, the Wings gave Anthony Mantha a four-year deal worth $22.8 million. So what happens now? Bertucci's coming off back surgery. He's in the final year of restricted free agency. Does Steve Eiserman sign him for one more year? And then they have to do this all over again when he becomes unrestricted? Or do the Wings lock him up for a few more years? I think the big
1: thing here is let's wait and see how healthy he is. Sure.
0: I, yeah. Similar, I mean...
1: Everybody says this was a similar surgery to what Danny de Kaiser had. Well, we saw how I mean it wasn't it was a pretty rocky road for Danny de Kaiser this year. And with training camp starting here, let's face it, in a matter of three months now. I mean, it's, it's a short window. I have reservations as to whether how healthy he's gonna be at the start of training camp and for the start of the season and I mean, it's definitely it impacted Danny Danny DeKaiser. I mean, he was a healthy scratch, healthy, unhealthy scratch for about nine or ten games. And they had him work out in the weight room and just mm. get, get his strength back. And at that point, second half of this shortened season, you saw a little bit more of the Danny DeKaiser that we're all accustomed to. But this may not be an easy road back for Batuzzi here, at least especially in early in the season. I could see where they probably would just do a one-year deal and just work something out in the, in, in the months ahead. I, I think there's, I think they still consider him a significant part of the future, so I don't. That's not an issue unless this injury kind of impacts him. So I think that his health is first and foremost right now, and exactly how effective he can be here in the early going of next season.
0: Thanks, Ted. You know, that'll do it for today's podcast, episode 54. For more Red Wings coverage, you can check out Ted's stories at DetroitNews.com, and you can find us on our Octopolis Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram Stories, and Snapchat. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll talk again next week after the NHL draft lottery on Wednesday night.